Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, and the two names I can't pronounce, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which came through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. By, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Time passes. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, there are a lot of folks that come to Asheville thinking that they'll start over and that they'll recreate their lives. And a lot of people do succeed in doing that. But talking with these people after they've made their adjustments, made their changes and and the dreams that they've came with and accomplished, there always seems like there's still something missing. And something that was missing in the place that they were before is still missing here. And there's something in an earth-centered community, a man-centered community, that just isn't going to fulfill us like what we desire in a community that is centered around Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we can keep looking for that unique thing and, and miss it, and miss what we're really looking for is found in the church, the people of God, the called out ones. You know, God's new community was filled and overflowing. It was a reversal of all earthly communities that are empty and depleting. You know, there were 120 people that were up in that upper room, 120 of Jesus' followers that were praying and waiting, following his command to wait for the Holy Spirit. It came, and they were all filled with the Spirit, and then all of a sudden they were declaring the wonders of God in another language. Again, most of these disciples were uneducated. They didn't have training in other languages, so this was something miraculous. Now, when's the last time in the Bible that you see a lot of people speaking many languages? The last time that you see something like that is in Genesis and a story about the Tower of Babel. And it was in a time when God told the descendants of Noah that they were to scatter and disperse over the earth, but they didn't. They were all one people, one language, one culture. And they decided they're going to stay and they began to build a city and they built a tower. And it kind of seems like what was behind this building of a tower was, hey, we're going to build up into the heavens. We're going to try to make our way to God. And in it also was this phrase. They said, let's make a name for ourselves. When we make a name for ourselves, we'll bring everyone here. Everyone will be attracted to this place. You know, there's a lot of cities that are are still kind of doing that today. What can we do to draw people to our city and make it the fantastic place that everyone wants to move to and live in, the perfect community? Well, this had a little something more to do with false worship. And uh, it was man's idea of community. It was initiated by man, and it was centered around man. That is the Tower of Babel, and it's still being repeated today. Now, since it had something to do with false worship, God decided he was going to put it into it. And the way he put it into it was he caused different members of that community to start speaking another language. And they couldn't continue the work on this tower and on their city because they couldn't understand one another and they couldn't cooperate. And so there began to be division and then they scattered and went to different places and there we have the formation of different people, different cultures and different groups around the world. That is the story from the Bible. So what do you see in Acts 2? It's a total reversal of the Tower of Babel. 
It's a total reversal of man's idea of community. You know, instead of confusion, what do you see Acts 2 on Pentecost Day? Instead of confusion, you see understanding. There's people going, I'm hearing my language. I'm hearing the, the wonders of God being told to me in my native mother tongue, and I understand. I get it. And instead of division, there is oneness among people of different cultures. Remember, we had last week we talked about all these uh, Jewish people from different parts of the world, tourists coming to Jerusalem for the celebration of Passover, first fruits, and Pentecost. They're all crowded into this one mile square, one mile city. And so that's why you had the description, the list in Acts 2 of all those different languages. At least there were 15 of those languages described there, 15 different people groups, but there was probably more. Which also you know, makes you, implies that there was more than just the apostles that had this uh, gift from the Spirit to be able to speak another language and help these people understand what was going on. So instead of division, there's this oneness among all these people of different cultures. Instead of man's purpose to glorify himself in his own name, there's a community that's formed and initiated by God in Acts 2. And it's focused on God's purpose his story, and for the fame of God's name. That's what it's centered around. You know, usually when, when people do talks about community or new community, you know, everyone focuses on those last few verses in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 46, where it says, you know, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and they had everything in common and shared with one another. No one was in need. That is a wonderful thing. And it is good. It is what a lot of us desire and we long for. It's, it's the results, though. It's the results of something that happened prior. And if the something that happened prior doesn't happen with us, we can't get the results that we want. Those results that everyone admires and desires for a community that they belong to. See, everybody wants that. Everybody longs for that. It's, but it's, it's a total reversal that description of that new community is a total reversal of all earthly communities. How did that reversal come about? What was that thing that happened prior? I'll tell you, it is the only, the only thing, and it's only accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit filling and overflowing his people. Filled and overflowing from the start is a reversal. You see, it looks like understanding. It looks like oneness. It looks like divine purpose. You know, I, I, I was imagining the other day what this great roar of the Holy Spirit, the sound of rushing wind, it caused people to come out of buildings to come check it out. You know, I was thinking back, uh, it was, uh, maybe three years ago, there was an earthquake in the middle of the night here in Asheville. It was just a slight tremor, and it freaked me out because I just moved here, and I didn't know they had earthquakes around here. And, uh, I, and it shook the bed in my room and woke me up. And as the bed was shaking, you know, I was going, what's going on? What's going You know, I was thinking, I meant we, we live near some train tracks. I thought maybe the train wreck or an ex- gas explosion, but there's no gas piped into our community. And so I'm just scratching my head, but eventually I'm tired and I go back to sleep and wake up the next morning, but I'm still asking the same question. What's going on? What happened last night? Well, What happened here with the Holy Spirit and this great roar, this rushing wind, caused so many people to come out of their buildings. It it wasn't a roll over and go back to sleep in the morning. It was, all right, this is still going on. I'm still hearing this. And I was just imagining downtown Asheville, what that would have been like. I mean, 3,000 people coming out of the office buildings and and coming to a place going, 
Where's, I'm hearing the sound somewhere around here. It's, it's, it's still going on. What is this? Well, the curios- curiosity brings everybody out. And then Peter stands up and he gives an answer to their question. He said, what's going on? Well, let me tell you what's going on. And he gives them a basic who, what, when, why. And he starts quoting this prophet named Joel that many of these Jewish people are familiar with. And he starts out saying, in the last days, making a declaration of when. And the when is that the last days are here. You're in them, Peter was saying. And it's been 2,000 years, and we're still in them. We're still in those last days. I guess we're in the last of the last days. But, and then he says, God says, I will pour out my spirit. He tells us a bit of the who and the what. God is doing this, and what you see here, this, this roaring, the languages being spoken, the declaring the wonders of God, this is him and his Holy Spirit that is causing this. And then he gives them more on the who. He's going to pour out his spirit on who? All people. All people. Not just special priests that go into a temple or prophets, but all people. And then he, gives, then he tells them about the how and the why. How is the spirit going to be poured out? And he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. The rest of Peter's explanation finishes some of that how and why. And the biggest and most simple answer that he comes up with for the big and how and why is when you sift through all the words, is Jesus. That's the how and the why. Jesus, he tells of his life, he tells of his death and his resurrection. And Peter concludes explaining that Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And he concludes, wraps that saying, Jesus is the Lord and he is the Messiah. And when the people heard it, the scripture says that they were cut to the heart. They were cut to their hearts. And they asked, what should we do? What do we do about this? this what you've just told us, what you've explained to us, what's, what's going on here? Well, it seems the Holy Spirit was already at work, already at work in convicting people's hearts. And I don't want to move past this part of the story too quickly, this, this cutting of the heart. I mean, how many of you have been cut to the heart by hearing and understanding the grace offered to you in the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, it's an interesting phrase, cut to the heart. It makes me think of pictures of, of, of bleeding, and pain. You know, injury to the heart is usually very serious. Most times it's fatal. You know, has, has your heart bled or been in pain over anything lately? Have, have you ever just died on the inside? You know, it's a wonder how the Holy Spirit causes a dying, a bleeding, a conviction before ever entering into our lives. And that's what was going on here. The, the Holy Spirit hadn't entered these people's lives, but yet the Holy Spirit was already at work. And it just seems that we have very little to do with this whole process of salvation. It's so much God initiating it and doing so much of it. And yet at the same time, we're held responsible for choosing and a choice. It's the tension of the gospel. That is something initiated by God. He causes it. He works it. But yet, we have to choose. 
There's people that try to systemize that, explain it, categorize it in two different camps or a camp in between. But you know what? We just got to live with it. We got to live with the tension of what the gospel tells us. Somehow, something has to leak out of our hearts to give the Spirit more room to work. We got to be empty before being filled. And many of you remember a moment like that in your life. And for others who maybe are experiencing it for the first time, that cut to the heart, this is what Peter said to do in response to that, that cutting, that bleeding, that dying in the inside of the heart. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children who are far off. All whom the Lord our God will call. He was speaking to us. That's us. We're far off from that day and that moment. The promise is for us here. So these, these people that heard those words from Peter, they, they believe. They accept the message. They're, they're water baptized, and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the filling and overflowing doesn't stop there. The story doesn't end. You see, you got all these Jewish out-of-town tourists and a bunch of locals now made into one new community. What does it look like? You know, the scriptures say that they were devoted to the words of Jesus, the apostles taught. They were devoted to coming together in this fellowship. They were devoted to sharing the Lord's Supper and to prayer. They were fully devoted to Jesus. Because of the Spirit's activity among them, they were filled with awe for God. The overflow of the Spirit caused togetherness and a willingness to help each other. And I'm sure many were helping simply just the needs of those many, those out-of-town tourists that all of a sudden decided to stay and be a part of this new community. They weren't planning to stay. They were just planning to leave after Pentecost was over, go back to their homes in Rome and in North Africa and Asia Minor and Arabia. Instead, what the Spirit communicated to them was stay. You need to be a part of this, these called out ones. And you need to hear these 120 who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. You need to experience this. And so I, I'm sure a lot of the locals were, were giving out of their own pockets. And that's why they were selling their possessions. They didn't have cash on hand. So they started selling their possessions to help take care of the needs of some of these people that came to town. And all of a sudden, we're part of this new community. The filling and overflowing of the Spirit caused a gladness and sincerity of heart in this new community. The Spirit continued to cause these people to want to continually praise God. They just couldn't stop. They met every single day in the temple courts. You know, the, there's a lot of scholars and theologians that believe that from this moment, the day of Pentecost, until the day when Stephen is martyred and the church is scattered, and they kind of all go back to those places where they came from, was a period of seven years. For seven years, living like this, figuring out all these one another things, love one another, forgive one another, share each other's burdens, carry each other, serve one another. You know, it was a miraculous start for God's new community as it grew from 120 people to 3,120 people in one day. It, it was a unique moment in time. 
If you look not much further, after the martyr of, uh, martyring of Stephen and the churches that were started in other cities afterwards, the church of Antioch, which was most known and, and talked about, they didn't live like this. They didn't live like this. But yet there was parts of this community, the devotion, the devotion to Jesus and the devotion to one another that was still there. It was still in that community. You know, what got into these people to cause them to change their living patterns, to, to leave homes, to constantly come together to praise God, to, to listen to the words of Jesus and to desire that? What would cause them to sell their possessions and take care of the needs of these new friends they had just met? I mean, new patterns, new friends, new focus, new purpose, new oneness, new understanding, new life, new nature, new, something that has never existed before. What got into them? Literally, something that had never existed before. The spirit of Jesus Christ was in them. The Bible tells us that there is a part of a person that is dead within them because of the inherited sin disease of mankind. But when Jesus enters our lives by his Holy Spirit, that part of us that once was dead is made alive. Do you know what alive things do? Do you know what living things do? They grow. They grow. Things that grow eventually bear fruit in time. And it's the same with us. When the Spirit of Christ makes your spirit alive and growing, you will eventually bear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are going to be the kind of things that are going to be evident in your life. Fruit is on the outside. It comes from within, but it comes out and is born on the outside. Now, this new community, don't get me wrong, it, it wasn't perfect. There was mistakes that were made, feelings hurt, and although there was a new desire in them to please the Lord, they sometimes still sin. It happened. It can happen in a wonderful community where people are overflowing and filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek Jewish believers, they started complaining, and they complained against the Aramaic-speaking Jewish believers for overlooking their widows in the daily distribution of food. And it wasn't a false complaint. It was true. They were being overlooked. And it happened right under the apostles' leadership. Sometimes even the best leadership can mess things up. Oops. But what prevails is the fruit of the Spirit. Understanding, oneness, God's purpose, love, joy, peace. And they forgive and they find a solution to the problem. You know, people in this new community were filled and overflowing, but they weren't perfect. You do not have to be perfect to be a part of God's new community. You get that? There's some people, I hear it all the time. Well, I'm going to stop doing this bad thing and doing that bad thing, and then maybe I can start coming and being part of church. It doesn't work that way. You can't clean yourself up. Only Jesus can clean yourself up. We all come in here with our dirt. We all come in here with our screw-ups. And we're honest. And we're real about it. It's who we are. And we love each other anyway. 
because we know that Jesus Christ is gracious to us and he loves us in the midst of our screw-ups. You know, here is how the Spirit worked in imperfect people. Where they lacked or where they were deficient, the Spirit brought what was needed. Do you believe that the Lord would do that for you? Where you lack, where you end, he will begin. He will. In another new community, Paul describes facing some troubles. And yet, in the midst of his troubles, he he says that he was to the point that he and his companions were just wishing they would die. Never felt that way before? But it says, in the midst of that kind of trouble and that kind of pressure on them where they felt like they just wanted to die, said that God comforted them. And that in that, what they received from God, they were able to bless and comfort others with the same comfort that God gave them. Overflow. Overflow. They were empty, but God filled them with what they needed, that comfort, to such a point that it overflowed that they had extra to share with those who were feeling the same pressures and the same despair of life. You know, does everything in our lives have to be lined up perfect to love someone else? Does everything in your life have to be roses for you to help someone else? No, no. You don't have to have it all together. You see, the Holy Spirit reverses things for us from empty and depleting to filled and overflowing. He can do that for this community right here in such a way that everything is made new like it never existed before. In a letter to a new community in in Ephesus, the scriptures say, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to wild living, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Greek word for filled at that point literally means to fill to the full. To fill to the full, or it could also be translated in English as to be continually filled to the full of the Spirit. But it's interesting, this whole thing, this juxtaposing, you know, getting drunk on wine or being filled with the Spirit. And it really starts making you, you think about the effects of alcohol and to the point of drunkenness. You know, when a person is full of alcohol, they kind of start talking differently, don't they? Yeah. And then they, they start acting differently. And they, they might even do things that they would never do before in any other place. You know what? You know what happens when someone is full of the Holy Spirit instead of alcohol? They start talking differently. They start acting differently. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you start doing things that you would never do before. The Lord can do that within us and through us. You know what? You ever had a moment when you wondered why your life doesn't look like what's been described in this new community in Acts? You know, I know it's easy to look around and say, man, you know, man, these people, they aren't really giving or they're not sharing or I don't feel that oneness and they're not, they're not reaching out or they're not doing that or they're not doing this, not talking differently, acting differently. But you know what? It's easy to blame others. What about you? What about you? You ever thought to start with yourself 
You know, there's, there's a song on the radio that drives me crazy. And I don't even know the name of the guy, but, but you, you probably heard it. Waiting for the world to change. And I just want to smack that guy who wrote it. I don't know if the guy who sings it wrote it, but I want to smack the guy who wrote it. Because it's like, that's exactly the most stupid attitude you could ever have. Is going, I can't do anything. I'm just going to wait for the people in power to change things for my world. It's like, shut up. The change starts with you. It starts with you. And the same thing with the church. Same thing with the church. You ever thought to start with yourself? How come you aren't gentle? How come you aren't kind and loving and patient? How come your life doesn't reflect understanding, oneness, and divine purpose? How come your life has no devotion to the words of Jesus? No heart for the fellowship of the believers. No desire to praise God. You ever think you might be running on empty? You ever think that maybe you haven't given much room for the Holy Spirit in your life? It's a question to think about. Nate, the guys, I want you to come on up here. I'm going to wrap things up. Look, I believe there was a point in my life when my spirit was dead and I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my life and he made my spirit alive and he brought salvation to me. There's a point when that happened. But you know what? There's been a lot of moments after that where I've been on low. I felt really empty. And during those moments, I just cry out to God and say, Lord Jesus, fill me up with your Holy Spirit. Or sometimes just say, Lord, fill me up. It's just a simple, simple request. Yeah, it's, it's what the Lord desires for me. He desires for me to be filled to the full continually with his Holy Spirit. He desires that for you too. He doesn't want you to be running on empty. You know, what could happen? What could happen with a whole community of believers who say, Lord Jesus, continually fill us with your Holy Spirit? You know, maybe there would be a community that would start looking different, acting different, talking different, be a reversal of the earthly communities that we see around us. You know, if you're already a Christ follower, I just, I just want to invite you today, as we continue in our worship, just, just to cry out to the Lord and ask Him, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me to the full. Now, if you hear someone today and, and you've never experienced anything like that before, you've never done anything like that, or even asked the Lord of that, you've, but maybe you've felt that cut to the heart for the first time today, then I want to invite you to invite God to fill you and make your dead spirit alive in Christ. And it's something that can happen right now between you and God. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, I know that there's people that are really seeking you. pray you allow yourself to be found by them as they call out to you that you'll meet them and Lord for those 
that you're, you've been working in and drawing them to yourself, Lord. We call on you. I, I pray that you would. Do as your word says. Come and make your home within them. Lord, for those of us who have known you, walked with you, and Lord, just uh, I pray that you give us a desire to walk full, full with you. For those here, Lord, who have been looking for the results of your spirit, looking for that community that is so close and tight-knit, caring for one another, Lord, I I pray that, that we'll start first with you and allow you to work that in us and that we can move towards that picture of that new community and what you desire us to be. Lord, we can't be what you want us to be without you in us. We can't do what you want us to do without you living in us and through us. Lord, it it can't be another man-initiated thing. we got enough of those, Lord. We need things that are initiated by you and by your Spirit. We pray that you continue to do that sort of thing here among this group, among this community. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.